Hey podcast, it's me, Gary Vee. Today's a very special day. 1.37 p.m. is launched. 1.37 p.m.com, the men's lifestyle, entrepreneurial lifestyle uh, media brand that me and my team at the Gallery Media Group have launched is now live. 1.37 p.m., 1.37 p.m.com, O-N-E, 37 p.m. They both go there. Go there, sign up. Sign up for the text messaging platform, the email platform, and start consuming the content. This is a very passionate project project for me, a kind of content that I think a lot of you are going to enjoy. If you're listening to this podcast, you definitely need to be checking out 1.37 p.m. on a daily. Uh, you'll see the DNA strands everywhere. I'm excited. If you've got any ideas for biz dev content, things of that nature, hit me up on social. 1.37pm.com. Launched today. Go enjoy it. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Because we're going to be Come on up, guys. All righty, so I'm gonna hand it over to Chip as well as Gary, but with that, know that of course we want you to be social throughout this experience so you can talk to Gary via his handle, at Gary V, V-E-E, or using our hashtag in speaker. So have fun, get social, can and they, gentlemen. Can they just raise their hand? Yeah, they can do that too. Go, go we'll do school. it online, offline, go. the whole thing. All right, with that, Gary, Chip, thank you. That'd be great. Thanks. We're gonna keep this really casual. We're gonna talk for a little bit, then we wanna get make sure we have plenty of time for Q&A. Uh, thrilled Gary's here. So as you all know, we have this tradition here where we ask guest speakers to tell us or ideally show us something that's not on their LinkedIn profile. So, so Gary, what's your, uh, what's your secret talent? My secret talent? Your special, what's not on your LinkedIn profile that we should know about? Uh, what's not in on my LinkedIn profile is I once judged the Miss America contest <laughs> two years ago. I've been thinking about putting that on my LinkedIn actually. So. That was kind of weird. That uh, was special talent. Oh, I can I can do this with my tongue. <laughs> that's about all I got. Hey, that's perfect. That's great. I'm pretty one-dimensional. Luckily, that thing makes money, so I've been able to survive. <laughs> but that's that. But I mean, so tell me about that. I mean, so yeah. you you hosted Miss America. You've you've had a, you've developed a wine business from from you know this into this huge kind of online juggernaut, You've, you're now working at this digital agency, you've got a 10 book deal with Harper. How do you kind of think about your career? How do you get to, how did you get to this point? Well I think, you know, and this is just the truth, when I look up there and I see guru, it makes me want to stab myself in the neck. Um, I know where I'm at as somebody who talks a lot and I understand why it happens and it has a lot to do with just my overall DNA and I know how I communicate and what my shtick is, but I take a lot of pride in the fact that I was 30 years old before I ever even popped up my head to the world and had already built a $40 million a year business by just being an operator, right? So I think that I take a lot of pride that my digital agency has gone from three to $100 million in revenue in four years and that's been on execution. That's not because I'm funny or I have a lot of Twitter followers. That's because the biggest brands in the world have decided we do a better job than Droga or Wyden & Kennedy or 360i. Like, I'm, an, I'm a business, I think of myself as a businessman who happens to have a personality that because his mom gave him so many compliments as a kid, he's desperate for compliments from others and so he has to put himself out there to have, that, to have scale in admiration. So. <laughs> it's just the truth, right? Like that just, like luckily I also have self-awareness so I can say that. But like to me probably the most fun that I have in my career is that I know probably half of you and any of your friends and 80% of America when they first see a video in a Facebook feed or read a, 
influencer post or watch me on YouTube or see me at a public event, literally think that I'm a bullshit snake oil salesman. I'm not confused that that's kind of six, seven out of 10's people's first reaction. There's a, there's a very dirty little secret about that spiel though, is when you actually have the chops, you start getting double credit for not being full of shit. And so I actually think I get more credit for my business accomplishments because nobody thought that that's what I was actually doing. And so that's kind of a funny thing. Well, and your, your, your personality, your brand is so much a part of your company's brand and everything else too. I mean, so how have you, how have you thought about that? I mean, we're, right now we're being filmed by your daily video show. D-Rock. Uh, D-Rock is back there, Daily V. So yes. how do you think about all that, of kind of building up your own personal brand and everything else there too? We all have different levers, right? Like, I did, basically, here's what I do for a living. I day trade attention. So what I do for a living is I day trade end user attention. That's how I launched an e-commerce website in 1996, even though that I had no tech skills and really even knew what the hell I was doing. The only thing I knew was that were people were gonna buy things on the internet. And that was not something, you're all youngsters, like a lot of you don't remember this, that was highly debated. The internet itself was a debated thing. And so that was the macro level and then basically email newsletter and Google AdWords and YouTube content and Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn content has, oh, you know, you said to me earlier, you were so nice when I first reached out, you were in right away. Right. I was laughing because I was like, of course, you had one of the biggest platforms in the world around the context of business. I want to be there in that space. To me, that was the easiest yes of my life. Well, I remember it was like a Friday afternoon. I called you up. We were talking about the influencer program when we first launched this. You were, I think I got like two sentences out. You're like, I'm in. I do this all the time. No I started problem. spamming him. I was yeah. like, I'm all in. Yeah. Like, I was like 100%. And so the reason, the, you know, to me, I've been watching Snapchat for three years and only in January did I start getting really loud of like this is gonna work. To me there is no doubt that Snapchat is at scale and will be at scale for the mainstream because there's a network effect at a certain scale and so I have very good intuition on what everybody in this room is gonna do a lot of times before they even realize they're gonna do it. That's my core thing, that's what I've got and now I'm trying to scale it and the reason I decided at the height of my career to take a step back and eat shit and build a client service business was because I needed to scale the one thing I had. And that's not what I have. Now I have a 600 person, four office, $100 million revenue business that scales my capability as a human to understand really how to day trade attention and know when something's overpriced or underpriced and know how to not be a headline reader. In the world of social media 24 months ago when everybody was crying about Facebook organic reach and wow, they pulled the rug from underneath us and this is so bad and don't do it anymore, I knew as a practitioner that the best ad product that I've seen since early Google AdWords was being built. And so, and then I became a practitioner in it. I'm a practitioner in Snapchat. The reason I do Snapchat stories is I want to be a practitioner. YouTube was something I was on so early that I took it for granted and I realized I had to get my game back on and so that's why I do content because I'm learning through my own content creation and then I have my own like spiel. The reason I do Daily V is because I spew a lot about hustle and I realized, crap, I don't think people really realize that I am fundamentally outworking everybody. So basically this is just propaganda to stick it to everybody that I work harder than them. Hey. We can see, we watch you all day long, what you're doing and everything else too. Yep. Let's go back to this idea of like trading the attention though in, in Snapchat. What was the moment when they told you, okay, Snapchat is the real deal, this is something we gotta be paying attention, more attention to? I mean, very, very, very early on. There, you know, I, I also enjoyed, the other thing about being good at this is you get the I told you so moments, right? Like I love the clip uh, when I was on with Pierce Morgan saying that Facebook stole Instagram for a billion dollars. 
which led to 10,000 tweets that I was an idiot because a lot of you remember it was only 500 days that Instagram was in business and it was like a billion, it's crazy that it wasn't that long ago but a billion for that seemed like outer space. Uh, and the same thing with Snapchat. I've been on Snapchat very aggressively since 2013. What got me to pay attention or the moment was tens of millions of people were using it. Like this is like the funniest thing. Like nothing bothers me more than when people say, first guru, but second, <laughs> second is futurist or disruptor, right? You know, to me, I think I'm the most practical operator and marketer in the world. I just market for the day we actually live in, right now. Not yesterday, not tomorrow. So do I know VR or after school or musically are emerging and things will happen? Of course. But do I think it's the best use of every dollar and hour right now? No, I do not. And so I, that's what I do. So I watch Snapchat every day and then nine, 10 months ago, I'm like, okay, this is really hitting critical mass. And then when I watched the first week of what was happening with DJ Khaled, I was like, okay, this is millions. This is millions of people watching this. This isn't the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands that I thought people were getting from Snapchat. This is three, I mean, I got a screenshot from it, like three million people. I'm like, okay, this is now at real true meaningful scale, which means it's not just 13 to 18. And then I just live life, right? Like I travel so much, I started seeing 30 and 40 year old people with a yellow app on their home screen, right? Like it was really that basic. And then there's the thing that blows my mind, which is, Everybody in this room can do what I do, which is wake up in the morning and the first thing they do, grab their phone, look at the app store, top 100 free apps, and look at the charts. It's just been sitting there in the top five for fucking, I don't know, a year and a half. Like, that's real data. Like, I'm, like there's no guess, I'm not, I'm not predicting Musical.ly's success. It's been a top 20 app for four and a half months. Like, it's, like this is just very basic. Yeah. So, so, and then, so for people in this room then too and everything, how should, I mean, you were quoted in a Wired story saying Snapchat's about to have its mom moment, right? Where it just crosses generations and everything yes. else too. How should marketers and salespeople and everybody else that's in this room, how should they be thinking about it? And Well, I mean, look, I mean, you know, you, you said ahead of time there's a lot of salespeople in here and I'm like, cool, I'm a salesman. Like that's, like, that's all I do all this stuff for. So in a B2B environment, you know, you just gotta think about what, what works. For example, I think sports center marketing television 1988 to 92 is really interesting. What do I mean by that? ESPN knew that Fox and CNN were coming and we're gonna have competitive sports networks. So they knew that anybody could cover Jordan and Griffey and Gretzky. So what they did was they started storytelling about their newscasters. They made their employees the item. I think one of the best, LinkedIn's business could be better if LinkedIn's Snapchat account right now was actually you guys doing your version of the office and building the personal, like just going around and doing that because then that's gonna make you more human and any of the 23 to 30 year old decision makers of 2017 in a B2B space are gonna feel a bigger connection to you if they're in your funnel, if you're putting out that kind of content. Now that sounds silly, that's not like, that's not the common thing that people are thinking about but these are the things I look at because I look at history to repeat itself quite a bit you know, I think pattern recognition is extremely important in what we're living through now because the internet itself is really changing the game and we're still just in a very early, guys, we're only 20 years into this. Like I know it's been around longer but I mean normal people started going in 95. You know, and so it's still very, very, very early and so uh, for me they should be thinking about A, does the person they're trying to get to actually spend time and attention on that Probably not, but I would say in 2017 and 18 it does. And if they want to use that, 
you know, it's like running a marathon. If you're not training for it, you get caught. A lot of companies have the audacity by not doing this stuff that they'll just throw money at it, but then you don't have the cadence and you don't have the context and you struggle with the transition and you miss your opening. So I do a lot of early behavior stuff, not for the ROI of the moment, but 18, 24 months. I'm very, I've done well with Instagram video or Snapchat because I learned a lot back on social cam. If you guys remember that, that was hot for, I don't know, eight seconds. But it was very hot because the news feed on Facebook vigged it, they had millions of users, it wasn't a good enough product to have the long standing, but I learned a lot about 10 second video production in a mobile environment that I then deployed against Vine, which was very successful for me, that I'm now deploying against Snapchat. And, and, and while we're on video, I mean, what do you think of, of, of Meerkat and Periscope and everything too? Are you still so, focused on those or, or no? I love live streaming. I think, I think we've all seen this. It, it's hard to be good at live. So I think right now there's a lot of crap on it. Um, but I think it's a very big medium. I think anything that happens in real life will happen in our world. And so live television is real. And so I do think like, I could see eSports and the gaming leagues doing really well with something like that or some sport that doesn't exist right now using that as their live mechanism to the world. Um, you know, I'm an early investor in Meerkat but I'm spending all my time on Periscope and Facebook because I need to be historically right, not my investments be successful. So that's how I'm thinking about that landscape right now. I'll also say another thing for all the salespeople here. I came from B2C, right? I tried to get any person in America that drank wine to buy for me. I've now been in B2B. I think B2B marketing is the best, I love it. When you actually know the name of the human being that you're trying to get to, this is the holy grail that I've been expecting from you guys. My great disappointment, personally, with this company, outside of all the things that I love, is I just want a better ad product that lets me, I mean, the fact that I can target people against their job description, or things like the dream that I had three years ago when I was in the office here, that I thought was coming soon, it's still not here, is when somebody changes a job, I wanted to run Wine Library Champagne congratulation ads, but I want it to be more, the thing is it's gotta be seamless and they have to consume it. But these are the things that I think about, right? A, where's the attention? Clearly you've got the B2B attention. The problem is it's used too much as a utility. Then you guys came along and I was like, yes, this is what's gonna happen. Now I just need the ad integration to be stronger and I would spend a boatload of money on a platform like this or any other platform that has people's attention especially when I understand the psychology of that person on the platform. If I'm trying to sell to a 42-year-old woman executive, what I would put in front of her content-wise on Facebook, Pinterest, and LinkedIn would be substantially different because of the psychology of her when she's in that stream. And so the reason I wrote Jab, 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 Right Hook, my last book, was because we are not spending enough time understanding that these social networks, it, they are not distribution channels. They're actually places you should tell stories. You just have to understand the context. Just like old school TV. What you put on at 11 p.m. at night on NBC is different than what you put on at 3 p.m. And so those are the things that I spend a lot of time on. The psychology of the end user. Got it. So I want to get into, you know, one of the things that you do, you're running a, you're a venture capitalist now. You have a, you're, you have a seed fund, you're mm -hmm. doing, you're raising another, another round with that. Um, what are you looking at right now? What interests you? Where are you looking kind of trend-wise uh, the next 12 to 18 months? <sighs> I'm, I'm very hot on uh, eSports. I think that Twitch reminds me a lot of MySpace. Let me explain. Not that they're similar or have similar outcomes. When MySpace sold, a lot of the BC people kind of said, well, that was the big social media exit. And they kind of got lazy to understand it was the first inning, not the end. And I think Twitch's billion dollar exit has a lot of people saying, well, that's that. And I think eSports is just starting. 
I mean, when I think about where esports is 15 years from now, more people are watching the esports world championship match of the biggest game of the moment than are gonna watch everything but probably the Super Bowl. So I wanna ride that trend, so I'm paying attention to that. I'm obsessed with VR, and I mean obsessed, but I'm obsessed the way I was about the internet itself in 1994. What I mean by that is we're much further away from VR being real consumer than people realize. All the people that look like me, all the fucking gurus, we're gonna all say it's here. It's not here. But what is here is getting into the pitches and the forks, the infrastructure. There'll be a lot of money to be made if you can buy the companies that you know the big companies of the world are gonna have to buy to be successful. VR sound is something I'm paying attention to. Stuff like that, so I'm very bullish. VR is the first thing that's come along in society that reminds me of the internet itself and I think it will fundamentally change all of our lives 20 years from now, including things like tourism. Think about a world, everybody's very very young in here. Think about a world in 20 years when you're wearing contact lenses, not this fucking Oculus shit, contact lenses and your brain is 98.6% in belief of what you're seeing and you're looking at the Eiffel Tower. It's interesting. I mean, if you're getting that far along and your brain believing it, like, I don't know what, none of us know what that 1.4, 1.4 looks like, and I don't know if that data's right that's being spewed, but I can tell you that everything in our society has to be rethought if we really believe we're somewhere or with someone, and definitely the movie industry and the gaming, video game industry, like, are clearly gonna be disrupted, and those are huge industries, so I'm very excited about that space. And then, honestly, I'm just in the jockey business, right? If I find an entrepreneur that I really believe in that has the ability to pivot three or four times and figure it out, um, I'm always looking for that girl, that guy, because they win. They just adjust. They know how to manage their burn. Uh, I think we've just lived through the greatest era of fake entrepreneurs you know, for the last five years. What I mean by that is everybody saw the Social Network movie and decided since they were under 25 they were a fucking CEO of a startup. Right. And so, I mean... And it makes me sad, right, because there's so many kids that I meet every day that would have made a lot of money if they did go to Bain and McKinsey for three years, learn craft, and at 27 would have had great careers. Right now, they're wasting their time because they really aren't number ones. They don't have the stomach for it. Like, being an entrepreneur is a different game. Like, it's like, it, there's a level of pressure. You know, the one thing I'm trying to talk more about, the reason I'm trying to talk more people out of it is not because I want more for me, there's room for everybody. It's that we're not talking about the downside of all the failures that are happening. There are literally people in our space that are committing suicide. There are people in massive depression because they failed and it's only because they put themselves in a position to fail because everybody just feels that if they go to an Ivy League school and they have rich ecosystems that they should do their business. And there's so many, you know, the number seven guy and the number 13 gal at Facebook made a fuckload of more money than anybody that's gonna start a company in the next 10 years. You know, so not having self-awareness of what you actually are it, it, and because of the hyperbole of entrepreneurship right now is causing a lot of people to have limited upside in success. Interesting. All right, cool. We're gonna open up to Q&A soon, but you, you, you touched on something, um, the aspect of storytelling. What would your advice here be for, for some of the people who are in sales and in different functions throughout the company? What would your advice be for them for their own storytelling approach? To reverse engineer everything and to listen 24-7, 365. I'm selling a ton of shit in a B2B environment by following the people that I wanna sell to on social networks and figuring out what they like in the world besides being who they are as a professional and reverse engineering and exploiting their passions as a way to sell them. So in real English, I mean, go follow people on Twitter and if they're into fishing, talk to them about fishing and then sell them your SaaS product. (laughs) 
You said uh, you said take it. You wrote a post about taking a month off of selling, right? Of just not doing it, just listening, everything else too, right? So I talk so much that people are confused. I listen 98% of my life. That's what I do for a living. I listen. And it's confusing because I'm a paradox that way because I talk so much, but it's only after I've listened fully. I've literally been watching everybody to the scale of my human capabilities for three years on their behavior on Snapchat. That's why I feel like I'm ready to talk. And the B2B stuff is a fucking money pit. It's amazing. Like, I think, I, I have no empathy for you guys. I think it's super easy compared to B2C. <laughs> I'm being dead serious. You know it's Stan at fucking Ogilvy, or you know it's Rick at AT&T. This shouldn't be that hard. And more importantly, what you have to do is you have to eliminate romance. You have to understand what they care about more than what you care about. And that's such a common mistake of salespeople. Like no shit you're trying to hit your numbers and do your thing. But if you know what their rationale is to why they're not using you, you need to exploit that. You need to figure out what that vulnerability is and explain that to them. So I'm just reverse engineering at scale. It's why I prep for zero meetings, you know? Zero prep, I'm gonna listen, like never. Like I have to walk in and listen for a little bit and then I'll know what to do by the end. So Always. you're not reading up on them before and you're not checking out their social accounts, any of that kind of stuff? You're... No, not, not if it's a real pit. Like I, I mean, no, the answer's no. Later, I'll, I may do some of the stuff I just talked about of getting to know them or if there's like a need, um, but no, no I'm not. What other mistakes just drive you crazy? You see salespeople in your own office, you see marketers in other places. What just drives you insane that people are still doing some things certain ways? It's more of that marketing in the year that you live in. You're still using lines that had a value prop nine months ago and you've just become a robot and you've got a script and you're like, duh, 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 duh. like I, I sent a meeting today where one of my people did and like, I wanted to punch him in the face. Like, you know, it's just, it's, it's just, uh, it's, what did they do? They were just repeating lines? They're just repeating horseshit. Like, I just, you know, people are just fucking headline readers and don't know what the fuck they're talking about and just repeat the fucking company line when they already know that the person doesn't give a fuck. Like, they're just mailing it in. You know? All right, cool. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, that's, that's a bad salesperson, right? You're just better off going, like, the reason I think I'm a good salesperson is I'd rather go in and if I can read that it's not gonna be a win, I'd rather just get out of there. I'll take my 18 minutes back. And honestly, I want to be respectful to them. And as a matter of fact, somebody doesn't want to buy from you that if they see that you're responding to that and you get out of there and you respect their time, they're probably going to do business with you at some point in four or 10 or 15 years from then. Like, to me, it's just respecting the meritocracy of the game. I respect the game, business, entrepreneurship, more than I care about my own KPIs. And that has allowed me to be very successful. Is the goal, the uh, eventual goal, still to buy the New York Jets? 100%. That is the goal. People know about it? People do the Jets? Uh... Jets know about it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, look, I sold my agency when I knew I was going to grow it substantially at a very low cost. I sold a piece of my agency to Steve Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, uh, because I wanted to get into the ecosystem. And so all my behavior maps that one KPI. And I actually think that's super important. Like, I literally sold a company on a nickel on the dollar because I literally was growing it super fast. I was in full control. I knew I was gonna run it. I left a lot of money on the table, tens of millions of dollars of personal wealth on the table because I know that I wanna buy the New York Jets. And so when the opportunity presented itself, so when you actually know, like this is just, like let's get out of like business. Like if you actually know yourself, like if you actually know what you want to happen in your life or like how you're hardwired, the second you make that shift to actually reverse engineer that at all costs, including short-term losses, you win. And it's hard. And I don't want to get into not practical stuff of like you not being able to pay your student loans or rent or upset your parents or your spouse, but 
fuck man, this, you only really get to do this one time and like playing a game that doesn't map what you actually want it to be is a really big mistake. On that note, I think let's open it up. Um, yeah. Yeah, to, to that point, Gary, um, two weeks ago in New Year's... Are we second, doing mics? Sorry. Yeah, we're going to use the mics so we can hear it in the recording if that's okay. Thank you. Big glamorous walk to the mic. And if you guys have other questions, you'll just want to start lining up so we can do it seamlessly. Oh, you're gonna, you, you can't like take the mic and bring it to them? Because we're going to lose like four questions because people are fucking lazy. <laughs> <laughs> You guys are seriously official around here. What's up, Gary? <laughs> What's up, man? How's it going? What's your name? Uh, Arthur Leopold. Um, so to, to your entrepreneurship point, uh, on your Snapchat two, three weeks ago, you asked uh, for people to you know, write in or, or mm -hmm. tell you what they wanted, what their goals were. Mm -hmm. You're sort of contradicting that today, saying you, know, you want to get like, that Bain McKinsey feel before you just like, go in and call it quit to become an entrepreneur. It's something I've been struggling with personally. Yeah. Uh, you and I first interacted when I was on the Obama campaign yep. back in the day and I wanted to do some uh, wine tastings. Yep. I was an entrepreneur then. I then went to finance. I went to LinkedIn and I still have great ideas, but I feel like I'm too afraid to make a jump into being an entrepreneur again. Yep. So like, what advice would you have um, given I feel like I can comfortable saying this because we're all about transformation. Yeah. Uh, what advice would you have to like taking a step away from your day to day yeah. that you love and you really enjoy yep. but you know your end game is, is somewhere else? I think you have to calibrate if you're an entrepreneur or if you have entrepreneurial tendencies. And I think this is something that's not being talked about enough either. Which is to me, and I'm one guy so I don't get to say what it is, but to me the definition of an entrepreneur, you can't work at LinkedIn. Ever. Like there was no, like there, there was no, there was, there was no I was gonna work somewhere, right? Like, there, like I, I couldn't even like rap, like I couldn't breathe, I couldn't even do school. I became an F student because by 14, there, now I'm probably all the way over here. For the more normal conversation, you know I think, I think it comes down to that conversation you're having in your head all the time. To me, I love entrepreneurship and the process so much that I need nothing. I don't need, like I would, I wanna sleep on the floor with four buddies in a studio in Hoboken because entrepreneurship is more interesting to me than a nice watch, right? I mean it. I mean, it's a very simple equation. You can do it, you just have to give up a lot of shit. And are you willing to? And that's it. And so there's no advice, there's just, the conversation you're having with yourself and recognizing that you can have, and you know what's amazing about the internet? You can do both. This didn't exist before. That's why I wrote Crush It. The first book I wrote was really just about you know, 9 p.m. to two in the morning. You know, If you're complaining so much and you don't wanna have a job but you have to feed your family or pay off your college loans, good news. Your parents didn't have this option but all of you do. Go home and instead of watching fucking Breaking Bad, Work and work from nine to two in the morning for long enough until you built something that allows you to switch. I mean, it's quite practical, and there's nothing I can. And, I, and you're right, I do contradict myself because it's the advice is not for every, like everybody's got their own advice. I don't know everybody individually. If we hung for 30 days, I'd probably be able to give a much better answer. But I will say this: if you have entrepreneurial tendencies, you should always that should become your full-time, 24/7, 365 hobby. You know, no more bowling, no more, 
I've never been to a happy hour in my fucking life. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? These are, this is time to do what you want to do if you really want it. On the flip side, maybe it's not. Like, in the flip side, there's a lot of times that I wish I had more balance in my DNA. Like, being on the bowling team sounds kind of cool. Like, like, you know, like, like being able to relax and not know that everything is your fault is kind of interesting. You know, when it's yours, it's all your, every single problem at VaynerMedia Wine Library and Vayner Capital is 100% my fault because I empower everybody else that's fucking up. So there's a lot of pressure with that. I mean, I don't know if that answered it, but like. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Hey Gary, I'm Jesse. Hey Jesse. Um, really specific question. Good. Um, I like you. I like the grind. Thanks. Sounds crazy, but yep. I do. Me too. Question is, aside from revenue, yes. Aside from traction, aside from see your business growing, how do you measure it? How do you measure your grindability? That's a good question. A, a lot of different ways. Um, first, I measure on impact. How many emails am I getting on a day that are similar to that question or the result of something I did that impacted. So like the, the Daily V stuff, wherever the fuck you see, uh, and the Ask Gary V show and the books and, and taking an hour and doing this is hopefully for one person to get, or one person hearing that answer over there saying fuck, that's right. You know, impact. Like, you know, you know what's really, in, you know, money's awesome, right? And more followers and bullshit metrics, that's fine. Nothing, and I mean nothing, is like getting an email every single day of your life or two or four that start with, you changed my fucking life. Now, when you're scared shitless of the word guru and you don't want to be Tony Robbins or Oprah or The Secret, you're pushing, in, you're pushing in the other direction too. But I'd be lying if I didn't say the most important measuring stick I have is that for some unknown reason through my energy and my communication style, I've been able to break through and help people it just I don't feel comfortable making 50 to 100 million dollars a year just being that because I myself have cynicism around that. And so I need to con- I identify with myself as being an entrepreneur operator. So I need to build things. But to me, you know, I laugh. I think digital agencies, all these digital shops, they've all become my friends and contemporaries. They would be devastated if they realized that I was able to build a much bigger business than they have over, they've been running for 12, 15 years, I've tripled their size in four, and if they realized that I'm not spending 100% of my time doing that, it would really fuck with them, right? You know, like, to me, I take enormous pride in the operations part, but I'm pumped that I still have 20 to 25% of my time that I'm giving back to the overall community, and, and I'm guilted into it. Like, I actually, with, in 2000, like, when I stopped the Wine Library TV, like, I kind of wanted to walk away completely and just build businesses. And then I just kept getting emails from Crush It. And they're like, the emails are intense. Like my fucking dad died and then this happened and then I read, watched 38 seconds of a YouTube video and good things happened. You start getting worried that are, I started honestly saying, am I selfish to the narrative? I always say don't be romantic, right? About other things. I was like, fuck, I'm being romantic to be respected as a businessman and I don't want to be this guru thing. But meanwhile, the only person that benefits is what I want the narrative to be. Meanwhile, all these people, like and so, uh, that's really how I measure it. Am I capable of putting my ass on two toilets of both being a businessman and both being content that drives results for others? 
that's my, I know that's not, you know, that's my personal way of doing it and I think everybody's got their own version of that, right? Are you happy about the way you are as a parent? Are you, do you feel good about yourself as a citizen of the world? Are you deploying enough energy against NGOs and nonprofits? What's the other part of you, even though you're grinding 24-7, that you feel good that you're bringing to the table um, is how I think about it. Yeah. That was some intense shit right there. I know, Gary, this is a... <laughs> Getting deep. <laughs> I don't know how I follow that up. <laughs> Gary, Connor. Connor. Thanks for doing this. Pleasure. Uh, when you're looking at investing in a medium or a new channel, whether it be like Snapchat, Pinterest, um, the internet way back when, how do you measure adoption versus perception? So when do you know the iron's hot looking at Snapchat, which a lot of people still think is like this sexting thing college kids use? Most people think. Right. And I'm sure we could get Donald Trump to put a LinkedIn shirt on yep. and a lot of people would see it, yeah. but it would speak negatively because yeah. of the perception. How do you know and judge that? In, it seems like you're pretty good, so. Because I, I trust the masses over the tastemakers, right? Because the LinkedIn t-shirt would get negative responses from the authorities and the tastemakers, but maybe not from the masses. So for me, being super immigrant and quite average in pretty much everything but this little thing that we're focused on in this talk and just, you know, just remembering where I come from. Like, I, I don't know, I'm, I feel much closer to Sally, Arkansas than I feel in my body to any of my rich friends that now surround me 24-7, 365. It's just, it's the taste in my, you know, it's funny, I ran into a Clive Davis, right? His son was like, like came up, like I met him somewhere and we were at a Knicks game the other day and he's like, meet my dad and I was talking to him for a little bit and I thought it was a good opportunity for me to look at somebody who does something similar in a different way. I'm like, it kind of talked to him about like, what does he feel when he hears that, that first time that somebody sings and, they, and he knows that they're gonna be huge, right? And he couldn't, his, his answer was shit. In the same way that my answer is shit to you right now, right? It's, I don't know. What I know is that fucking, I just go now. Like, it's literally so ridiculous. Like, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm almost embarrassed by the lack of answer for this. I pay attention, I put in my work, I watch people, you know, I do silly real life data stuff like look at the app store and there's some yellow app at the bottom, download it. Like, I'm a practitioner. Hey, I'm traveling, weird. That yellow app that showed up at 1.30 in the rankings that's staying there and hasn't moved out yet, I've seen that yellow app on a lot of 14 year old girls at the airport. That's actually, by the way, if you ever hear that I got arrested, I am not a creeper, it's just that I'm really all up in on teenagers' phones when I'm at the airports. <laughs> Some dad almost beat the shit out of me the other day. What so, did you find? Did you find anything? Uh, Snapchat happened for me was, that way. Yeah. The reason I was so early on Snapchat was it kind of popped a little bit on the bottom of the charts and then I just, because luckily, honestly, no joke, luckily it was yellow. You want to talk about something easy to see? Like when people just, I'm like, I'm seeing that a lot. Just started digging. Like, um, but when I decide all in, like I have with Snapchat, it's usually just a combination of pure math and a lot of intuition, right? Some things don't scale. Some things you were just given, right? And I feel like I really understand people. I like at the ultimate, I think I'm the ultimate salesman. I think I can, I mean to get really crazy deep, the reason I'm a happy person is because I truly think I can manipulate anybody. And the fact that I don't do bad things with that makes me feel super at peace with myself. 
Seriously, dude, like honestly, I think that my IQ, I don't even know what it is. I should probably figure, I'd probably make a good post. I should probably figure out what my IQ is because I don't know what it is, but I'm super not excited about it. But I, in my will, have a line that says, if humans ever figure out how to quantify EQ, I want to be dug up and tested because I truly believe that I'm all time. That's your, that's your, yeah, that's your. 100%. Yeah. What's up, Gary? Hey, bro. How's it going? Awesome. Um, so you mentioned a little bit about nonprofits, NGOs, yeah. all that stuff. I was curious where you think uh, social entrepreneurship is going and just social enterprises in general. I think it's shit right now because I think everybody saw Tom's shoes and realized they can make money by right. fronting that they give a fuck. So where do you think uh, it's going and how can it be done? <laughs> it's yeah. true, right? Yeah. And we all, the reason everybody's laughing is because we all know it's true. Like all of a sudden after Tom's Shoes did well, every pitch I saw in 2013, and I was on the board of, I was a well member of Charity Water and I was on, I'm on the board of Pencils of Promise. And those are fancy NGOs of the day. And so I would get pitched 8,000 times and literally before anything came out of their mouth, they're like, okay, listen, for every umbrella we, we sell, we give two umbrellas to the people in the Congo. <laughs> you know, it's like, just like, like it was just, it was, it was a tactic. Right. Now. Right, it was a marketing tactic. Right. Correct. Now, that's why, to answer your question, I'm actually quite excited about it. Because now we're on the tail end. It's seesaws, right? It's how I think about social networks. We went completely open, for the most part with Twitter and Facebook wasn't completely open, but it was open. Then Snapchat, because of the openness, had an opportunity to be a little bit more closed. I actually think the next Twitter is gonna get built in the next five years. And so I'm really like, kind of like trying to pay attention. The, the space that I most was upset about that I missed was Tinder. I invested in, so when Grindr got big in the gay male community, I'm like, this is 100% gonna happen with guys and girls. So I invested in Yobongo, in One, in Highlight. I chased, I, I tried to get into Highlight. I chased every single people discovery app, which I knew would mean, let's hook up. And so, thank God Tinder was incubated. I never got a chance to invest in it. But like, no joke, in 2011, 12, and into 13, the biggest fear of my life was I was gonna miss that app because I knew it was gonna explode. It's how I feel right now about NGOs uh, or social entrepreneurship. I think that somebody who comes with pure intent and not a tactic is gonna produce a very meaningful company. I'm just waiting for that. Nothing's come out, nothing that you... Nothing that I've seen, maybe it's out right now. You know, I don't see everything, but I do think that we do as humans have enormous amounts of compassion and we'd like to get behind those kind of things. The problem is we know that all the hucksters came in and used that tactic and so we kind of all shut down from that. It was kind of why I was getting so mad back in the day on social where people were so desperate to get their following counts up. Like Haiti, Haiti's earthquake was the, the, the worst moment for me in marketing really because literally even my friends, people were doing things like for every Twitter follower I get from this tweet I'll donate a dollar to the Haiti fund. You know, like that, ta and it was just like, literally I was just sitting all day just replying like, hey fuckface, why don't you just donate to the Tady Fund? Like, you know, like. Are you working on anything now that is, you know, socially beneficial? Just a quick follow-up, and yeah, no pressure. To me, no, no, to me, Scott Harrison from Charity Water really helped me on this. Makes this answer a lot more fun than it would have been if I didn't meet him. He said, we were sitting down one day and he said, you know Gary, I've gotten to really know you, you're a good dude. He goes, you're just playing this traditionally, meaning nonprofits and doing good. He's like, I can tell your plan is to just amass a lot of wealth and in your 60s and 70s and 80s you'll do all the right things. And he said, why not now? And it really hit me. 
And so for the last several years, what I've been doing is, whether it is Pencils of Promise or Charity Water or other things that affect my family, I've been doing a ton of, here's the funny thing with me with this subject matter, even right now, I'm not, like DRock, I don't want this. Like, I'm very uncomfortable using my good stuff as my public conversation because so many of my scumbucket friends use nonprofit as a disguise to paint a picture that they're good people. So I'm trying to go the other way. I, in the same way I like to surprise people that I actually have chops, I once had somebody trolling me on this issue. Like, hey Gary Vee, fucking Mark Cuban and Jason Calcanis and Tim Ferriss are always talking about charity stuff and tweeting like, why don't you? And to the point where he was just basically saying I was a bad guy, I literally met him at a Starbucks on the Upper East Side and showed him my tax return. So, I, what, I'm, yeah, I'm a little weird. Uh, what did he say? What was the, uh, yeah. No, I, I wanted to teach him a lesson because the kid was kind of cool. I was like, I showed him my tax return. He was completely blown away by my donations. And I said, you're a fucking idiot. You're confused by what they're doing and you buy into that. Anybody can formulate the PR story of themselves if they want to. Like, I'm like, here's what I do. I do this and I don't talk about it. I do talk about myself as a businessman and, and everybody thinks I have an ego in this and that. And I'm like, I'm fine with that because that's business. Like, that's what, business is winning and losing. There's no like, there's no, like this is real. Like this is competition. Like people really don't want you to win. You want to win. Like it's not super complicated. Um, so what I do is I, I'm very heavily involved with the one thing, I, the biggest asset in my life is my time. And so what I do for Autism Speaks and for um, Pencils of Promise and Charity Water is the biggest thing I think I could be doing. And then of course I donate for stuff. I mean, yes. And then the other thing I've started doing more of, I did it yesterday and felt so good. Start realizing I'm giving money to certain things because of people and doing less for my inner circle. And so uh, I had a friend who has a GoFundMe yesterday that somebody else started for him because his car went on fire. And so I donated to that yesterday. So I'm trying to like hack what, what's the right thing to do by the ultimate judge and jury of the universe? Um, and so I don't do a lot of, pu- like the two things I don't talk about in public is my family. Like it's hard to find pictures of my kids. Like all my friends that are social media gurus love to use their kids to fucking spike up their fucking stats, right? I'm, I think I'm playing the absolute reverse of what so many people think I'm doing when they first consume me and I'm excited about that long-term narrative. Yeah. I think, do we have time for one more? Is that it? Yeah, we got much. Two more? Yeah. Cool. You go ahead and then I have one from Great. Yeah. Br- and like three more. I know it's 4.30. Like 4.30 you have to be downstairs, right? Yeah. So cool. Fucking bang out fucking nice. six in 15 minutes. <laughs> nice. All right. All right, great. Brenna. Um, so this is a very basic question. What's your name? Uh, Brenna. Brenna. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, so I found myself pretending like I knew a lot of the companies you mentioned. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm wondering what's the best way to stay informed? I know you said you're a practitioner yeah. and you're constantly referencing, like observing other people, but how do you stay informed? Of startups? Um, or just, just the yeah, whole ecosystem? Like media and- I'm in a weird spot in my career now because so much of it's coming to me. So you know, one of the great things and one of the reasons I decided to build my personal brand, the reason I built the personal brand was because I need the admiration, the cuddling and all that. But <laughs> two was you start reversing it and it comes to you. So I have a lot of stuff coming to me but there are a lot of tactics. I st- this is boring but I'll say for the fifth time, the top 150 free apps in the App Store in Apple is a very easy way. You see things pop up, you're like, what's Yik Yak? You download it, you play with it, you now know what it is. There's Product Hunt, which I think is a great utility if you wanna know about that. And then I still think what LinkedIn influencers do and what Twitter does well, 
for what, you know, there are clearly tastemakers who can be the DJs for you. I think really taking a step back and deciding the 26, five, nine people that you want to follow that are actually in the business to keep people informed with whatever you care about is quite, I mean, the shit I give away for free is ludicrous. Seriously, I'm giving away my best advice for free every day. Because I, I feel like that's the best way to attract opportunity, not to hold it back and sell it in a mastermind class or an ebook or at VaynerMedia even. So I would say there's plenty of people like me in different genres. Find those people, follow them, and let them be the DJs of all that noise. Jason Hirshhorn's email list is incredible. He's also an influencer. He writes. Uh, Media rep. Yeah, like he's, he's amazing. Great. I think he's super interesting. Um, I think there's 25 to 50 DJs. I, I'm assuming, I, don't, I know Jason's one that I believe in, that are out there that could really, really help you. And cut out the noise, trim it, whatever lists or subscriptions you're in, find those people for whatever you're trying to achieve. It's very, very, very uh, possible to achieve. Cool. Yeah, you're welcome. Cool. You're coming up? All right, Gary. There's gotta be more people in the audience that have a question. You may, blood circulation's good to get up. So I'm going to ask this one and then you guys will have a minute to come ask a few more. So this one's coming from the stream. The question is... By the way, the, downs, the Dow is down 254 points. I just want to make a random statement. This is just ad hoc side note. I'm so fucking pumped. I want the economy to completely melt. Because... <laughs> what? I'll tell you why. Because, back to the fake entrepreneurs things, the amount of bullshit businesses that are raising money that have not, like. I hate when the economy's great because B and C and D players get to live A player lives. I want meritocracy. I want this. I'm pumped. And I'm gonna lose a fuckload of money. I'm sitting on so much paper money on Snapchat, Pinterest, Uber's like life changing, like all my fate, like I'll lose a shitload of money. That's how much I love meritocracy. These down rounds from Fidelity and everything, like none love of this it. worries you? Like none of this? nothing worries me. <laughs> Not when it comes to business. Right. Sorry. <laughs> and we're back. All right, so question <laughs> from the stream, Gary, is who is a better dinner conversation, Tim Ferriss or Kevin Rose? That's a good question. Um, for me, it's Tim Ferriss because, <laughs> I love how I just answer it. Um, <laughs> super didn't dodge that. So I'm much friendlier with Kevin Rose and, and feel much more kinship to Kevin. Kevin really put me on. Like I feel like Kevin was like Dr. Dre and I was like Snoop. He like put, like Dignation changed my career, that video blog. The reason Tim's more interesting for me is Kevin and I are so similar. We have a lot of the same beliefs. And so that's a fun conversation to just, you know, ego it out for two hours and just go back and forth and say how awesome we are. Tim's on some different shit. Tim's like, LSD is good. And like, you know, like Tim's just in outer space in a place where I'm not. And he's super different than I am. And, and, and super similar. I, I would say we're 80% similar, but the 20% is massively interesting. He's thinking about things at a headier level than I am. He just is. And some of those things are right. And so I feel I learn more from Tim because our brains are different. Not that, I, I feel like plenty of people learn more from me than Tim and vice versa. It just depends on how you're wired. So for me, the more interesting date is, is really Tim because he's gonna be like, dude, there's this new thing. Like if you take baby oil and this rock from Cambodia and you do this and you shave it on your head, you'll live forever. I'm like, really? Okay. You know, like, like he's into that kind of shit, which I find interesting. Thank you. And somebody else get up and ask something. Like this, like, this is it. I may never see you again in real life. <laughs> never again. Um, hi, I'm Donna. Hey, Donna. Um, 
so I actually started my career in PR, and awesome. back then it was like the cool thing to do. Everyone right. wanted to now work it's in PR, shit. and now it doesn't exist, and right. everyone wants to work in a digital agency. Yes. So, um, as someone who has a digital agency, what do you think is sort of going to be like the next wave of that, and where do you think um, the concept of PR is sort of going? So I think I think this thing stays. It will evolve. And it'll probably be VR 15 years from now that disrupts it. But here's why PR got disturbed by this. It was just that PR is B2B. You know, PR when it was cool and in its heyday was B2B. You had a Rolodex, you could influence the Today Show or the New York Times. And what the internet did was commoditized storytelling and information. And so now we're all in play. We all tomorrow can be that. And so it became, the, the world of selling through stories became much more C to C, then it became B to B. And that's why PR got disrupted. So I think the thing that happens next is when the platform of attention shifts. And I think the only thing in sight is VR and how will that work and what are gonna be the rules of that world and does, is there one, is, is, does Facebook win and Oculus controls all our contact lenses or Google and then they get to be the first page we see and they go back to B to B behavior versus C. So I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think there'll be a change right now because so many voices can carry so much weight. I, I think of it as, remember when everybody said that uh, you know, your 15 minutes of fame? Now I think of it as everybody's famous to 15 people and I think that shift is uh, a big one. I think that hurt PR. Hey Gary, David. Hey David. Um, you got me to do something uh, on Sunday that I thought I never would do. I joined uh, Periscope. Um, you were tweeting from the Super Bowl, and I thought it was like it was awesome. It's cool, right? Yeah, it was. It was like I can't believe this app. I never even. Tried I was like, it I thought I was going to get arrested. <laughs> I got on the field somehow through David Levy, the president of Turner. Somehow I finagled my way on the field of the Super Bowl, and then I go on Periscope and Facebook Live, and it was just crazy. And the amount of—it's funny you brought that up. And, and this is what I do: I do things, and then I listen. And so watching how many people are like, "Holy crap!" Like I'm really not watching the pregame show. I'm watching Gary Vee's stream because it's more access, right? It was more real. I mean, it was just like, you know, we like that stuff. Yeah, I felt like I was at the Super Bowl. I was like on the field and I get to see what everyone's talking about. It was crazy. You were passing the phone around to all your friends and other like, it was great. It was yeah. like, I was Thank like, you, I'm, I'm there. Thanks, man. <laughs> um, Thanks, brother. I, I want to just quick question, just like, yes. who do you rely on like for mentors or seek advice or is it all self-manifested? This question's tough because this is the one that I think most puts me in that ego place that I'm always scared to be in because I'm in it to begin with. I, outside of my dad early on teaching me that, which is really where I didn't go and become a huckster and mastermind and really went to my word is bond, my legacy matters, I wanna be a good, like he really helped me because I was, because the reason I am what I am is I have all that bullshit in me. Besides that, piece of advice and that moment, I've been weird, I've read like six books. Like I know nothing about all these other influencers outside of if I know them. Like really, I don't even know who they, like I get into some weird things where people like bring up very famous people and I say things like, who's that? Like really inappropriate things, like because I'm super undereducated on some of this stuff. I'm so in my own shit, it's so, I mean I didn't even know, This is not a joke, what I'm about to tell you. In 2006, when I was 31 years old, I didn't even know agencies were a thing. 
Because the way I built Wine Library, I did it all myself, direct to the platforms that I was using. I didn't even know that Madison Avenue advertising agencies existed. Somebody came to sell me billboards. If you lived in New Jersey and during that time, I used to have billboards of myself up. Talk about narcissistic. <laughs> you know, there was billboards of me saying, watch the Wine Library TV show because I literally used to drive from New York to New Jersey. I'm like, hey Gary, you know? Like, and when the guy sold them to me, I did the creative, I gave it back to him, and then he gave me a bill. And I lost my shit because I didn't know, I thought he worked for CBS Viacom, but he had some Lope, you know, uh, Lopez, like media, like he was a media agency and he was charging me. I'm like, for what? Like, you know, like I, like, I literally didn't even know their, that ecosystem. And the truth is my undereducation, my lack of education, my lack of that has hurt me because I had a pattern recognized later in my life. It's why I'm gonna win later in my life. The reason I'm not gonna buy the Jets in my 40s and I'm gonna buy them in my 70s is because I didn't, I didn't know when I put all my personal post-tax money into Twitter and Facebook, this is sad as fuck. I'm now 35. I didn't know that I could go to other human beings and raise money and take 20% of the upside. If I did, I'd already be a billionaire because I would have bet my life on Facebook. So like, just think about that. Just basic, something you could read when you're 11 years old on the internet of like carrying money, like basic fun dynamics was something I didn't know at 35 years old because if I did, I would have raised it made a lot of people in my world at the time a lot of money and I would have made 20% of the upside which would have been remarkable. So, you know, I don't, when I say I don't have mentors, I think of that as a weakness but I just know it's my truth and it's all I got and I'm so, it's like meditation. Meditation is about to explode in America, right? Like, like what happened with Starbucks and coffee shops and what happened with SoulCycle and exercising is 1,000, 1,000% gonna happen with meditation. In four and a half, five years, everybody here is gonna go to the fucking meditation thing and they're gonna have their fucking t-shirts and we're all gonna sit there and it's gonna be at scale and it's a trillion dollar business. Why do you say that? Why? Uh... Because I pay attention to consumer trends. Because of Headspace, because of the couple of studios in New York and LA, because I just know how shit works. And the only reason I'm telling you this story right now is to get it on film so we can do the recall in four years and be like, I told you. And so, <laughs> so if you wanna know why I'm telling you this story. But, oh, I was trying to figure out why did I get here besides that. I will never do it. I'm so happy and so grateful for the way I'm hardwired and softwired that I'm literally scared to do meditation because I'm scared it might trigger something in my brain in a different direction and make me not this 100% complete happy. And it's the same reason I don't have mentors. I know what I'm doing. It's good for me, I like it. I don't even want to be affected by other people. I don't want to hear from any fucking guru. I want to watch what you guys do at scale and make my decisions and just do my thing. Amazing. Okay. Final yeah, let's nice. do it. Actually. Thought that was a pretty good way to end, but okay. That was great. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> like, it's not gonna be a storybook. Go ahead. So my question is along those lines. Do you ever get tired? And, and like, D-Rock, can you believe this today? We've had a very weird day. Like this has come up like four times today. Really? I don't. It happened because I've been snapping my like. I Yesterday, I went to, from LA meetings to San Diego speech to Red Eye to Miami to New York to meetings late last night. So it's come up because of my last 24 hours on Snap, I think. Um, not really. You know? <laughs> you know, like once, like four times a year, like I'll like collapse and go to sleep at like 7 p.m. and I'll need like a hardcore like 15 hour sleep. But, and I started taking care of my health about two years ago, 18 months ago, and I was. Not, I mean, I don't think I've picked up any more energy when I was 
25 pounds heavier and eating like shit and not exercising. I just have so much natural adrenaline. I showed up to somebody's podcast yesterday and he was Facebook living and I went back and read all the comments last night at midnight because I don't get tired and uh, literally everybody's like, this guy's on fucking drugs. <laughs> Which is really interesting for like, and they meant it because they didn't know who I was. They're like, they're like, they're like, why do all these guys have to take drugs to like, and I was like, fuck, I've never even tried a cigarette. I've never done anything in my life. I'm like, I've been left out from all that good shit and people still think it because I just have, it's just natural DNA. I truly think it's the same way as being pretty or six foot five. It's just something you were given and like, I like it. I'm glad. I like that I can, I truly, truly, I, I really believe what I'm about to say and this is hyperbolized to the moon. I truly think I'm the hardest working person on earth. I truly believe that. I just work 18 hours a day every day. Like I just do. Cool. Awesome. Gary Vaynerchuk. Thanks guys. Amazing. All right, Gary, Chip, thank you both so much. LinkedIn, thank you. Please thank them again for their incredible time.